Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. I'm your host Alberto and with me as always is my co-host Bailey. Hi, I'm here on the birthday of the hedgehog. As yeah, it we're recording this. We are recording this right uh, on June 23rd. Happy birthday, Sonic. Happy birthday, Sonic. You blue rat, why am I still a fan of you? Well, this is why, clearly, oh, to oh, make yeah. content. The best content there is, what do you mean? Don't who you doesn't all just... love the? Who doesn't love these comics? Who does not love Archie Sonic? <laughs> right now, I ain't loving it. <laughs> and uh, let's get into why, shall we? So, we begin with the Sally miniseries, which was built up last time. And, uh, well, I got some got some small things to say about this. Yeah, so, to play it out point by point, it starts off with, like, a little bit of a flashback from the last comic about how Sally and, uh, one Jeffrey St. John meet. They're chased <laughs> off by SWAT bots, but Sally sort of leads Jeffrey back into the forest where she's with her new recruits. We we go off in round. Arlo the Armadillo, Penelope Platypus, Dylan the Porcupine, and Hamlin Pig. These are the newest recruits to the freedom fighting force. I don't know what they're to describe like them as. Training to be freedom fighters is what it is. They're not quite freedom fighters yet. This is basically their inter- first mission in a way. I'm it's not sort sure. of like hazing the new recruits i guess yes speaking of uh good introductions jeffrey straight up just starts to attack them because he doesn't know who they are and pisses off hamlin in particular hamlin is fucking pissed hamlin is also based he's the (laughs) best part of this miniseries just because he hates jeffrey as much as we do i felt him it's like you know what no hamlin's hamlin's right listen to him this one time he's right yeah so Either way, they go to sleep for the mission in the next morning. That next morning, Sally briefs everyone on the plan. If they take out these certain substations around Robotropolis, the defense system for the main city should collapse. In the last, uh, in the last little bit from the last issue, Sally took out the first one. So now we have this B team with the recruits, including Jeffrey. They gotta take out the, the next three. So... One by one, they go off, or as a team, obviously. First, they go to this next base, which is supposedly off the edge of the Great Forest. It's this pyramid-looking place. It's just straight-up a pyramid. They infiltrate it, shut it down. Sally uploads a virus, activates the self-destruct system, and it just explodes almost as they were about to head off because they were attacked by these disgusting-looking, like, bug or bots which I describe as like AT walkers from Star Wars with googly <sighs> eyes. They look awful. Yeah, they don't look good. And also I taken right them. out of Star Wars, Sally just takes one out by like lassoing the legs and downing it. Yeah. I I, I guess Ken Penders was inspired. You'll we'll see more of Ken Penders being uh inspired by uh science fiction things. Oh yes. Oh yes, we do. And, uh, oh, we forgot to mention, how, how silly of me, we so anticipated to get into this. This whole miniseries was written by, uh, Mike Kenturovich and Ken Penders, art by, uh, Mawini. Standard stuff. Yeah. 
So, right as this uh, AT Walker looking ass is about to fall, it's about to crush Hamlin, but uh, Jeffrey heroically swoops in to save him. And they chase the second one out as the base explodes, and they trick it to uh, fall off a ravine, and it, it dies in the fall. Press F for the brave soldiers. No, we don't press F for them. No. And I made a note of this. Despite his life being saved, Hamlin still does not trust Jeffrey. Again, killer instincts from my man Hamlin. Yeah, killer he instincts. Stands. For those who don't understand our hatred for Jeffrey St. John, th- like we're gonna get into that. I promise you, we'll get into that by the end of us talking about the miniseries. We will tell you in detail why Jeffrey St. John is bad. I and this isn't even him as his worst. This is not. That's what scares me. So, during that conversation, Sally is just scolding him, saying that, like, if you can't trust Jeffrey after this, you may as well not trust me. And to that I say, I do not trust Princess Sally. No, better not trust Princess Sally, then. If she trusts, like, trusting Jeffrey St. John is a bad mistake. You're really gonna choose, you're gonna really trust the fucking... Peppy Le Pew, mother look of mother, you know I give up on my joke. Mother f- looking motherfucker, instead of the pig that you've known. Well, Damn. They don't really know. They're new recruits too. Like, come on, come on. Okay, but people have known Sally for how long? She was the princess. That that's a, you make a strong argument. You make a strong argument. So anyway, we cut to the later of the night. Jeffrey sneaks away from camp creates a portal from his watch to some weird base, goes downstairs into a cryonetic chamber. Jeffrey's looking over it, says, and I quote, Soon, my love. Soon. <laughs> Abrupt end. That's Sally number one. Yeah, uh, yeah, it ends on the cliffhanger of double Sally's, huh? Uh, not yet. We kind of don't know okay. that. We kind of don't know Is it just Sally in the tube? Just in the tube. Sally in the tube. Tube Sally. <laughs> Tube Sally. So, Princess Sally number two. We open uh, with Jeffrey. Jeffrey and Hamlin are both sparring. And keep in mind, they're like fighting with like, do you remember from like, I don't know, grade school or something along those lines where you have like these like two weights? Like, I'd, I'd say they're like deadlifts, but on the ends are like two pads, like padded puff looking things that you would like whack someone else, but it's not supposed to hurt. No. Am I making it? No? Is it just me? Alright, fine. This is why you don't go to private school, kids. I mean, I went to some, like, school in bumfuck nowhere for elementary, so. Yeah, well, uh, I w- like I said, I went to private school, so maybe uh, that's why I have strange memories. Fucking Florida boy. So, like I said, they're fighting pretty seriously, like, almost to, like, kill one another, I'd say. Jeffrey knocks Hamlin out, just... Sally is pissed about this and essentially threatens Jeffrey saying, look, man, you play by my rules or you don't do anything at all. You want out? Go. Leave. We have a common enemy here. Don't act like this. Yeah. So this next substation they go on is on an island in a nearby lake. It is armed to the teeth. Unnecessarily so. But maybe it is. It is a power grid system. It's Robotnik. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes there is such a thing as overkill, is what I'm getting at here. I mean, that's kind of what he lives on, though. You may, yeah, fair enough. So, uh, they go to this nearby mountainside. 
use hang gliders to get onto the island. But obviously, uh, they're attacked with cannons. Arlo is downed by one of them and ends up breaking his leg on the fall. They argue about what to do at this situation, but eventually they just decide to leave him there with Penelope to stand watch. So they're not like, they're not leaving him for dead. Don't worry. (laughs) Well, the rest of the team, they go off to the base. Sally hacks into it and then is attacked by a quote unquote octopod. It's a robot with tentacle appendages, appendages, excuse me. And let me just say, if you've been on the internet long enough, you see something like this and bad things, uh, your instincts kick in and you make you make yourself wonder bad things are going to happen. They don't get that bad, thankfully. Just normal kids' tentacle things. Yeah, this is this is a children's uh, series. So uh, bad. those kinds of bad things don't happen here. What does happen, though? It ends up grabbing Sally and then Hamlin and Dylan. Jeffrey, however, outmaneuvers it, plants a bomb on its underside... And uh, Sally blinds the, the robot with a can of hair dye. We gotta get that in there. Still still gotta run that joke to the ground. Ken Pender's really out here saying women's rights. You gotta <laughs> love it. So, it's blinded. That's the three of them go. Bomb goes off, as do the rest of the charges. Substation blows up. We're two for three now, boys. They escape. And they go to the spot where they left Arlo and Penelope. And they're gone. Nowhere to be found. They're freaking out. Sally says, listen, either they left of their own will or they were captured. One way or another, we'll find them back. And so they leave. They go back to camp and they're still worrying about where those two have gone. Skip to later that night. Jeffrey takes Sally away to her base and puts her into this cryogenic pod that's next to the Sally pod and reports back to his to his boss. And his boss reports, you've earned the trust of the Freedom Fighters. The exchange has been made. No one suspected a thing, Jeffrey says. (sighs) The next morning, Sally, Dylan, and Hamlin, they go on a uh, SWAT bot checkpoint. That was the end of Sally 2, by the way. We're at Sally 3 now. Uh, No, this is actually still Sally 2. No, Sally 2 ends at the cliffhanger. At the boss part. Right at this cliffhanger? Yeah, that's a cliffhanger. No, 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 no. I didn't get to this last part. Oh. We we still don't know technically who this uh, boss guy is. Be shocked. It's Dr. Robotnik. What? Uh, Whoa, I would not have... Th- what? Whoa. So, here's the big boy plan. Robotnik wants to roboticize Sally. The other we just saw was a robot duplicate. Jeffrey's a double agent. Wow. Wow. Ah. Pain. So that's the end of Sally number two. Okay. And now we move on. The last of the miniseries, Sally number three. So we now see the Sally. By the way, this is next morning. So we're pre- we are seeing here fake Sally. She's with Hamlin and Dylan. They're attacking this last station. And I made a note of this last bit. They do have laser guns, but they look like water guns. Uh, good old water guns it really does seem like editorial demands to me but hey what am i to say what what do i know i mean seeing as it wasn't necessarily sonic i don't think they had much editorial demands yet like in terms of editing like that i can i i would not put it past ken penders to initially write in to give them like realistic guns oh yeah definitely I, i wouldn't put it past him he probably did again editorial demands yeah 
So anyway, they break into the main chamber. Robotnik's there waiting for him. Jeffrey is also with him and with the real Princess Sally in that pod. Hamlin immediately attacks Jeffrey. Again, killer instincts. He was right this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Kind of right. So Sally aims a slingshot at Hamlin saying that they're, quote, both on the same side. Robotnik reveals that this Sally that they're standing in front of is a, quote, convincing robo-duplicate. He reveals also, there was never a weakness in these defense systems. It was just a ploy to test what he calls auto-automation. A perfect robot that imitates life to a T. Which, I need to ask, does this not make robotization redundant? Oh, absolutely. But did, uh... Did contenders care? Well, no. Well, I think the reason why is that he, the whole point of uh, robotization is not not necessarily just for the army side of things. It's just to get rid of all organic life in general. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was. Like, and also idea. add to his ranks. I, I guess so. I mean, I'm sh- there's uses for both. I guess. Yeah. But like, he probably would use both. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are different purposes. So anyway. He plans to replace the hires up of the Freedom Fighters. And actually in the background, we see like auto automations of Sonic and Tails being made. So that's a neat little visual touch. And in the process, he wants to roboticize Sally. And he does so at first. But mysteriously, the machine overloads and explodes. And says, the Robotnik says that the only way this can happen is if the subject already is a robot already is a robot the so-called duplicate sally says she was the real sally all along and jeffrey was a double double agent whoa so robotnik's uh last breath here is to sit giant stealth robots and just escape however jeffrey who says straight down he is the leader of the Rebel Underground, and his team literally comes up from underground, drillbots and all, to attack these uh, badniks that have been sick on them. And among them are Penelope and Arlo. And Arlo actually did break his leg, so you see him like hobbling around with a gun in one hand and a cast in the other. It's really yeah. jarring to look at, a little too real, but alright. Yeah? So, Robotnik initiates the self-destruct on the base and escapes. And a nearby Badnik ended up destroying the Rebel Underground's transports. So, they go for an air car to escape that they just had there. After escaping, Sally presents this uh, B-team with the medals. She calls them Battlefield Battlefield Commissions and make them full members of the Freedom Fighters. (laughs) Woohoo! And if I, to my knowledge, we don't ever see them again. As far as I'm aware, no, actually. Maybe we do. Who knows? Well, Hamlin comes back, but that's not till, uh, way later. So, near the end, Jeffrey explains what his situation is. He says he's truly loyal to king and country. He said he initially gained Sally's trust by first showing her the robot duplicate and the plan Robotnik had set up. Jeffrey activated the robot early, had Sally placed under the pod, and when he called Robotnik a couple nights before, he made the switch in front of him. 
really driving it home. Very clever, to be honest. Still don't like him, mm-hmm. though. Oh, I don't like him. And actually, even Sally notes to the B team, she says that there actually was some hints to what was going on. Visually, Otto Sally had, like, purple-colored vest and boots, whereas normal Sally had blue ones. Also referred to Jeffrey by his first name, and real Sally referred to him as Mr. St. John. Why would you call him that? It's a very weird thing to call that. And also, uh, final page of this miniseries. We see Jeffrey and Sally holding hands. Sally asks Jeffrey, come back with us to Knothole. And he just says, no, I can't. The Rebel Underground needs me more, but we will meet again. Maybe when the war is over. And he leaves her, saying, you can call me Jeffrey. And smack kisses her on the lips. And, wait, we're still not still not done here. Sally leaves for Knothole. She monologues that her obligations as a freedom fighter take precedence over her personal concerns. And here's a direct quote from the comic. And what of my heart? Where once there was one... Now there are two. I need to stress this enough. If you're thinking that this came out of nowhere, you're correct in thinking right, that. You're correct. There was no indication of romantic interest between either of them. Like, Jeffrey did kind of flirt with Sally a little bit, but she was pretty unresponsive towards it all. It's just like, this came out of nowhere, and it's really just setting up drama that is not necessary. Um, boy, does it cause drama. Ugh. Does, does Je- Jeffrey St. John cause drama, all right? And as we alluded to before, yes, he is a good guy. He's supposed to be, like, part of the squad, part of the team. He is pivotal to the, to the war and to try to take Robotnik down. He is a good guy. The problem is, he is written so smarmy. Like, Jesus Christ, every time this man speaks, it is just extremely suspicious. Like, he talks like he knows something else. Like he knows of some greater evil going on. Like he's plotting away to something and he's going to take everything over or is helping the big bad. But no, he's just a double agent. So maybe that's his shtick. He's just really good at convincing that. And at the last second, the rug comes out from under. It's just like, no, I'm a good boy. Yeah, that's that's Jeffrey. It's just they always like to have him. Just whatever it's convenient for him to be, they do that. Because there's some later things I've heard with this man. I hate this man. It's also I hate him. It's also worth mentioning that it's been it was a theory for a while that uh, Jeffrey was supposed to be a uh, the like Ken Pender's like self insert. That's not true at all just keep that in mind whatever you've heard that's not the case what is true i really regret bringing this up so early but like i really i have to get this out of my system a couple of months ago ken penders tweeted (sighs) about how one story that he wished he got to write but never did was about how jeffrey st john took sally's virginity now I just, just want to put a little mental image for you, viewers. No, I don't want you to, mi- to think about that. No, a mental image. Just so y'all know. Sally is around 15, 16. Jeffrey is 21. 
And when someone pointed that out, he got weirdly defensive, like, in the comments, or, like, in the replies, about how, oh, the, the age of consent is actually, like, 15 on Mobius, and, uh, 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 age of consent doesn't even work like that. It, it was just a weird, and it was completely unprompted, too. Nobody asked about this. He just thought it was a good idea to tweet about that. It just, yeah, the world really needs to know about this. And, best part, best part. Direct quote, Sonic may be fast, but Jeffrey was faster in that department. Uh, I hate my life. I hate that man. Why would he do this? Like, why was he like, hey, I'm, I'm going to tweet about uh, pedophilia, pretty much. Statutory rape. I think that's fair to say. Well, that happens later on. Okay, we're getting... Okay, you know what? Forget this. Sonic <laughs> There's another story that actually happened. Sonic <laughs> 21. On. The first issue solo written by our boy, Ken motherfucking Penders. That's right. Up to this point, he was always working with uh, Mike Kenterovich, but now he's taking the reins. He's on his own. And the introduction to a good part of this series... Pat Spazniak. Spazniak? Great I thought artist. Was, I thought his name was Spazatine. I'm not sure Hold how on, to pronounce I'm, it. I, I'm going to check real fast. Hold on. No. He goes by Spaz usually, I believe, to say anything. But yeah, they he finally shows up in this issue, and it shows. Like, he is, he is someone who will continue to be with this series up until the reboot. Like, he didn't... I'm trying to remember they brought... Yeah, they brought him back for the reboot covers as well. He would continue to be around from this point forward, and he is a good artist for this comic. He's one of the few, like, superhero artists who actually could draw Sonic well. Alright, just looked it up. His his name is Patrick Spazatine, as far as I can tell. Spazatine? Okay. Yeah. And while I'm here, yeah, he is most notable. He is most known for his work on uh, the Archie Sonic series. And yeah, he is kept even after the... Uh, change of hands and writing direction and even until yeah. like the reboot like he sticks yeah, with archie sonic till the end it is he very would do impressive mainly uh like event covers and alternate covers and like anniversary covers stuff like that but he still stayed around and it was always a joy to see his art and seeing him draw an actual issue very good very good so my notes on just his art Patrick Spazatine, he has a very dynamic art style. Like, we see, like, cinematic camera shots. Like, like the guy most in charge of the art up to this point was Art Mawini. And like I said, he was a storyboarder on uh the on Sat AM before this. And you can kind of tell, like, the art Wait, is, like... he was? Yeah, he was. The art oh. is, like, very similar to, like, what you would see on a storyboard if you've ever, like, referenced one. The good news is, and another visual thing, Mohawk hair is gone. Mohawk he, hair is gone. Pa- he has his six spines, his six quills, and it looks good. Yeah, I did not like Mohawk Sonic that much. So, we open up on Sonic 21 with, uh, da, da, da. Sonic is fighting some SWAT bots. Robotnik and Snively are monitoring. Saying that they don't really mind about the the bots getting destroyed. Robotics only just wants to collect some data on Sonic. And then he ends up taking all this data to this facility. And shows Snively a new project that he calls EVE. Acronym for 
exceptionally versatile Evolvenoids. I had That's to read that name. very carefully. That's its name? Yep. That's gross. <laughs> oh, it gets grosser. So, uh... this is a robot, and it works by submicroscopic mechanical parts, which are apparently virtually indestructible. Fair enough. So, the plan... He feeds robot uh, Robotnik feeds Sonic's data into her to find a way to beat Sonic permanently. We then skip to Sonic and Tails are in the Great Forest and are quickly attacked by this red robot. Seems to be pretty invulnerable to most of Sonic's attacks, but it is destroyed by Sonic uh, breaking a tree trunk and it falls on top of it. Very simple stuff. N- nice, uh, nice little workout. Robotnik, unfazed by all this, says that this robot that Eve generated has special parts comprised of Robotnik's brain cells and body cells from Sonic taken from a dropped quill. Alright, you with me so far? Eve generates a buzz bomber kind of robot and it quickly attacks Sonic and Tails. From this, like, destruction, like, when it's destroyed, it kind of leaves this weird goo. It's kind of gross looking, but just so we're all up to speed. So Sonic and Tails find the spot. They do outrun it and they defeat it by making it crash into a cliff. Then uh, quickly thereafter, Sonic and Tails arrive to Robotnik's base trying to figure out what's going on. And Eve generates this other robot, a giant snake. And it tries to constrict Sonic Literally squeeze the life out of him, but he escapes and uh, destroys it. And Eve evolves one last time. This time, now she has the ability to talk. And transforms into a... uh, How do I put this? Think like Mother Brain, but from like the... uh, What was that cartoon? That like... Captain N the Game Master, that's what it is. Think Mother M from Captain N. That's basically what she looks like. Eve says that she was built to surpass her limitations, but her greatest limitation, twist, Robotnik himself. Robotnik, a little freaked out by this, says that he created her, gave her abilities of knowledge, and the ability to improve herself. What's the the limitation here? She says that she was built with a combination of cells from Robotnik and Sonic. However, Robotnik cells didn't give her intelligence, only evil. And Sonic cells overpowered Robotniks. That's basically a direct quote from the comic. If you need more clarification, I got none for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's really literally what it says. Yeah. So Robotnik assumed that Sonic cells gave her resourcefulness, but instead she gained logic. And uses that to break out from her bondage to Robotnik. Robotnik responds by trying to fucking shoot her. Just, just, great, uh, great response, Robotnik. Love that. Love it. She shrugs it off, only to shoot lasers out from her eyes. And disintegrates Robotnik on the spot. She just straight up kills him. So, yeah. Sonic and Tails are snivelly are just purely shocked at what has happened. Eve now says that with Robotnik out of the way, she intends to finish her programming, meaning she wants to kill Sonic too. 
And Sonic says, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Robotnik wasn't the ultimate limitation. It's your own programming. You're built to you're built to surpass your limitations, right? So that's you still got that. Still need to fix that. And Eve says, you know, you got a point. And she has she gives herself, rather, the choice of freedom, be they of the mind or the vast reaches of infinity. Direct quote yet again. Is that a direct she quote? Flies. I just know she went to space. Yeah, she flies right into space and spreads herself out. Atom by atom, she disintegrates herself and says, Farewell, Sonic the Hedgehog. I know what it means to be free and to be me. Actually, a very nice quote. Very weird circumstance, though. Very... Sonic the Hedgehog literally BS'd a god into flying into space. Think about that. Even Tails is like, wow, Sonic, how'd you think that would work? And, and, and Sonic was like, I don't know. I didn't. He literally didn't know. He just did the first thing he could do, which is a very Sonic thing. But at the same time, I'm glad that Sonic the Hedgehog could just defeat a god like that again. Yeah. So, Tails notes that with Robotnik now gone, does this mean that the Freedom Fibers accomplished their mission and is Mobius free now? Meanwhile, Snively is uh, now in tears and screams at them to get out. And they just leave. Yeah. They go home. And on the way back, Tails wonders, hey, you know, I don't think Robotnik is really gone. Sonic says, yeah, this may not be the last they hear of Robotnik. And that's issue 21 right over. Yep. <laughs> and from that note, immediately into Sonic 22... Again, written by Pen by uh, Penders, art by Patrick Spazatine. We open. Remember last episode with uh, Sonic in your face? There was like that little tidbit about like a flash forward 20 years later. We open with this issue. From that same scenario, we see future Sonic and Sally with their kids in a meadow. Just enjoying life. Lightning shocks the ground nearby, revealing Robotnik. Which... Let, let's keep something in perspective here. Sonic and Sally from the future. They've already defeated Robotnik 20-something years ago. I am fairly certain that seeing Robotnik triggered some kind of PTSD with them. Fairly certain. Oh yeah, it did. So, at the same time, Robotnik is somehow taken away with Sonic reassuring Sally that Robotnik is long dead and what they just saw was, quote, a freak of nature. So yeah, there you go. PTSD episode. I really don't like them showing. I mean, it's a thing I have to just deal with here, but I don't like seeing Sonic the Hedgehog married <laughs> in an official comic. I don't like it. It's really off-putting, isn't it? It is. Uh, we're going to have some thoughts about uh the, the, the future because this rears its ugly head future. Way later. Way later. Oh, so, boy. The energy somehow is collected onto a space station that orbits Mobius. Robotnik wakes up on it, wonders where he is, but he hears a voice calling for him. And on the screen is... Robo Robotnik. Remember that from uh, Night of a Thousand Sonics? We're back to that. For some reason, we just like, hey, let's bring him back. So we have Robo Robotnik saying that they are one and the same, but he is in an alternate universe. Robo Robotnik explains that he roboticized himself 
in a desperate attempt to overpower Sonic, but he uploaded his memory to the space station that he had other intentions for. The station itself is incomplete, and all he can really do is just operate the system's functions until the power runs out. He's ba- He basically has a death clock, and he's well yeah. aware of that. It's kind of harrowing. Yeah, uh, but where are we at here? Kind of deserved it, though. Yeah, probably. You probably deserved it. So, Robotnik Prime says that he wants to live to fight another day and will work to prevent the fate that he just saw. Robotnik sends Robotnik Prime back to his Mobius. And so, again, back from Sonic 21, we see uh, the Freedom Fighters at their base kind of celebrating the victory, quote-unquote, until they get a video from Robotnik saying, Beyond the Grave, that if he cannot have Mobius... No one can. And the SWAT bots are sent out to come to commence Operation Wasteland, which sends the SWAT bots out to destroy and burn everything on Mobius. It attacks anything that can move. And at this instance, Robotnik snaps right back into existence. He wonders what's going on right as the SWAT bot tries to attack him. He blasts it, asking Snively why Wasteland was activated. And figures out that Snively must have accidentally triggered it by saying the code word. Sonic has finally won it all. Something interesting. Thought I'd just throw that in there. Yeah. Robotnik ends up deactivating all the SWAT bots, saying that this strategy of wondering of Sonic wondering why Robotnik spared him should kind of cripple his ego. Just a little bit of a tease right there. And uh, Robotnik connects to the Freedom Fighters base, saying that he saved them from the SWAT bots. And says the game is over. And they live to fight another day. That's the end of that. He only pulled them back just to flex on the Freedom Fighters. And I think that's pretty funny. Like that was just like you know what? That's enough. I showed my flex. I'm good. I got my little flex in. It's like, yeah you know what? I could have done this the whole time. I could have burned the whole place to the ground. But that's not enough. And actually what I just said there. That is very indicative of. Robotnik's character at all. Yeah, yeah. He could just like carpet bomb uh, the Great Forest. He doesn't know where Knothole is specifically, but he knows it's there. He could carpet bomb him, but that's not the point. He wants to crush their souls. He wants a game out of it. Yeah. That's how he sees it. He sees it all as a game, and I this is like the beginning of that characterization, which I think is good. I, I like that characterization. Yeah, we're finally... Because st- up until this point... Robotnik's, like we've said before, he's a Saturday morning cartoon villain. Kind of treated as a joke. But now, we're getting some character here. Penders, I gotta applaud you on this. You're starting something good here. So, like I said, that was Sonic 22. There is a story B here. It's more filler. Just like Sally's reading tales of bedtime story about knights, medieval fantasy, blah, 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 blah. It felt like this was an issue. This was like a back catalog. This B story. That's what I think. It's what it feels like. That interesting you brought that up because I did write that in my notes. It does. It does feel like a back catalog thing that they just had to use. It because fe- it's way more in tone with the earlier issues than what these have been so far. And uh, it was written by Angelo De Casare. No one's surprised there. It's a shtick. No hating on the guy. Yeah. He, this is just what he's good at. It's what he's getting his money for. He's just doing his job. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of which, uh, we have Sonic 23. 
uh, written by Angelo, art by Dave Manak. So, like we said before, very basic issue, very Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, let's, do you want to just, like, glance over this one? Yeah. Yeah, alright. So, basically, the plot of this is that, uh, the Freedom Fighters, including Robotnik, were abducted by this giant alien named Karheem. He, uh, wants to study life on Mobius, so what he does, he places them in a pod. Oh, and also, uh, he, Karheem, uh, sees Robotnik as, quote, a lesser being from a lesser species and intends to kill him. Straight up. So Sonic, in an act of mercy, says, no, 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 Robotnik's a freedom fighter. He's one of us. <laughs> so there's some leverage there that Sonic can use over him in the future. Yeah. So uh, eventually they're in this containment pod, uh, but they break out. They fight off Karheem. They, le- they, they, just... Robotnik, I need to clarify. Robotnik straight up tries to kill him by le- ejecting him from his uh, space. Yeah. And uh, they eventually manage to bring him back in. And Karim says, you know what? That, uh, oh, what's the word? The near-death experience showed me the error of my ways. And I will put you all back on Mobius and I will leave you alone. And also, there's a whole analogy of Rotor and his ants in here. But mainly, this just kind of shows off that the Freedom Fighters don't have any intention of even to their villains killing anyone. Because Sally flat out says Freedom Fire respects all form, like respects all life forms, pretty much. Yeah, which I guess is a good message. Well, it just kind of plants that in because that does kind of come in later. Because there's a lot of times where they get the chance to finish off Robotnik, but they don't. Yeah, again, food for thought. And also, this issue it does have another B story. It's just Antoine trying to infiltrate Robotropolis on his own. It's really like not important. But the it kind of is. To, well, the only thing to note is that uh, it shows off like the budding romance that Antoine has with Bunny. That's all you got to take away from. But it. it's the best characterization Antoine's gotten in a while because he still goes for it. He's like, "Oh, I'm scared," and like actually just pushes through it. He's becoming the Chad that he becomes, the true Chad of the series. You know what? You're right. This story was not a one-off. Antoine this... is a Chad. Antoine is good, and it's nice seeing his development towards that because like. When Ian Flynn... Go- oh, I don't know about what all happens with Penders. Apparently some decent things happens with Antoine in this run. But Ian Flynn gave him some good shit. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Alright. So now, we go to Sonic number 24. You go to Sonic 25. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Come no. on. Come listen, on. Listen. We don't need to talk about it. We do- Look, I'm gonna... I have something here called journalistic integrity, all right? We have a duty. Nay, a commitment. Do you really want to talk about another anti-Sonic issue? Because I don't. Look. It's it's not even important. It's filler. You're right. It is filler. But look, I'm just going to sum it up like this. Mike Kenterovich and Penners wrote it. Dave Manak did the art. We see anti-Sonic, and we're introduced to the anti-Freedom Fighters as well, all their counterparts. They're just fucking around trying to, like tarnish the good name of the freedom fighters they're bored that's they're bored. it that's kind of it so they lose uh, the end yeah they lose the end it's it's simple they they show up they're bored they wreck havoc the freedom fighters come in kick their ass and send them home the end the only thing of note here is that sonic tail or the freedom fighters are now on a mission to look for sally's dad who they are sure is in the zone of silence 
That's all. That's it. That's the only important thing to take away from this. I forgot that was even in it. Like, I just read this and I was like, really? Like, the ending made me mad. It's just like, Anti-Sonic's not even mad. He's like, I got what I wanted. I'm good. Fucking hate it. Yeah, he's such a prick, isn't he? Which I guess is the point, but... Yeah, but I don't like him. He doesn't become good till later. Way later. I can't wait to hate this dude more as this goes on, because he gets worse. Oh boy, does he get worse. Well, that's issue 24. Who cares about that? Yeah. Now we're moving on to Sonic number 25. It's the first milestone issue. Woo! God. And uh, if I remember, you enjoyed this issue. Oh, I enjoyed this issue a lot. This was an issue, all right. (laughs) And it's written by... Listeners, I want you to just imagine this matchup in your head, all right? Written by Mike Gallagher. Art by Patrick Spazatine. It is such a weird clash, because you see some really well-drawn Robotniks with some unfitting dialogue. So, let's get right into it, shall we? This is an adaption of Sonic CD. In 1996. (laughs) Yeah, they're not that tiny. And look, you know what? Let's make this... I need to, like, point this out. Like, they do take their sweet time adapting games, in large part because, like, Sega's not, like... Uh, working with them on this. We're getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves with this anecdote, but I actually learned recently that when the, they were adapting Sonic Adventure, Sega did not communicate with them at all. They had to import a Japanese Dreamcast and a copy of Sonic Adventure so that they could get the story for the game. There was no communication with them in regards to adaptations. So I don't blame them for taking so long, in all honesty. Fun fact would actually cause Ken Penders to leave around 2005 because they were originally going to do a Shadow the Hedgehog adaptation, but Sega was not working with them, so he just said, I'm done. That's what made him quit. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. These are some fun facts. These are some fun facts, but... We gotta get it going. Okay, yeah, that was why. I think I know why they adapted it in 96, because that's when the PC port came out. That first PC port came out, so it was probably as a way to advertise it. Yeah, fair enough. So, we open. Rotor's building a camera and is just installing it onto Sonic's shoe. They're doing this because they found a new zone portal that opened up, and they want Sonic to explore it, and they need documentation. However, Robotnik already beat them to it. And inside that zone, built the Collision Chaos Zone from Sonic CD. You know that? Isn't that neat? However, Robotnik... You know how uh, Mike Gallagher really does not believe in the fourth wall? We're seeing that again. Robotnik has stolen Sonic Graham's letters, sees fan letters, including one of Amy Rose, her self-proclaimed biggest fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. Robotnik kidnaps her? And uses her as bait for Sonic. I can't, here's the thing, I'm mixed because, like, I think that would work if Mike Gallagher didn't always rely on this type of stuff. But I still kind of love that. You know what? Yeah, I agree with you. Like, like I do... It fits for Amy's character. At this point in time of, like, Sonic's history as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh... Robotnik is broadcasting the Freedom Fighters in their base. Tells them the situation... And he expects Sonic to rescue his biggest fan. 
that's something he would do. He's a good guy about this sort of thing. And Sonic wants to because, quote, Amy is his best pen pal. Yeah, this is some really weird writing. See, they're pen pals. Sonic the he- I don't think Sonic the Hedgehog would be would pen pal people, but I don't know. I mean, to be fair, saying someone is a pen pal is a very 90s sentence. If it there's is. anybody in this audience that's under the age of 18 and you have no idea what a pen pal is, don't worry about it. Like, you don't need to know. I was forced to learn about in elementary school. You grew up during the age of email. Like, this is not something you need to think about. Yeah. So, uh, where were we? So, Snively is in the back, wearing a Robotnik costume, a weirdly good one, and Robotnik tells Snively to wear this costume and chase Sonic and burn the track behind him and lead him to the second zone where the real challenge awaits. So, the Freedom Fighters are meeting on how to deal with the situation, only with Sonic to send Tails on a spy mission to get intel on the zone. But he's caught. And so now Tails is added to the list of hostages. So, Sonic goes on ahead regardless. Robotnik messages him outside Collision Chaos, says that he has Tails, and challenges him to go in and get him. And that's exactly what Sonic does. Snively disguised is right behind him, and chasing after him, you know that you know how the boss fight in uh in Stardust Speedway works with Eggman with Eggman on the, on the mech and the laser. It's like that. That imagine that. So the Freedom Fighters don't know what's going on. They're looking at the dash cam and realize that this Robotnik that's chasing down Sonic is the disguised Snively. And uh, after Sonic crosses the portal into the second zone, he encounters quote. Mecha Sonic. And keep in mind, this is Metal Sonic. Why they're calling him Mecha Sonic, I'm not really sure. It must be a translation error. Translation error? But, well, this this Sonic is important. This version of Metal Sonic is also important to the comic lore for a character later on. Way but, uh, later on. Way later oh, on. Oh, yeah. So... Mecha Sonic uh, challenges Sonic to race him through the Stardust Speedway Zone, saying at the finish line, Tails and Amy. Meanwhile, back at Knothole, Rotor notes that Sonic's dashcam was interfered with since he crossed into the other zone, so Sally is trying to triangulate the location. In the meantime, they all chase after him. And we have honestly really nice art spreads of Sonic and uh, Metal Sonic racing across the zone, and... In the, like, city background, there are cameos of Espio, Akira from Virtua Fighter, and a Sega Saturn logo. It's fun! Callbacks! We love it! So, Robotnik uh, shows that he booby-trapped the finish line at the end to crush and kill Sonic when he crosses it. Very dark for Mike's, uh, or Mike Gallagher's, uh, art style, or writing style, I should say. Well, uh, Rotor and Sally... Fly into the zone. Sally parachutes in after seeing uh, Robotnik, the real Robotnik. So Sonic defeats Mecha Sonic by outrunning it with what he dubs his super peel-out move. Again, game reference. You love to see it. It uh, exceeds his previous speed limit. Mecha tries to, to catch up, but he overheats and crashes out. Sonic crosses the finish line with Robotnik knocked out with Sally literally fly-kicking him in the head. Pretty epic, if I do say so myself. 
so he can't uh, press the crusher and kill Sonic. And there was a little uh, disturbing imagery around this point. Uh, Sonic literally inviting you, the reader, to be the one that presses the buttons to kill Robotnik. Yeah. Uh, the realistic finger that looks disgusting. I hate it. I really hated that. Oh, oh, Patrick Spazatine. I, I, the things you did. The things you did for us. Yeah? But, uh, either way, Sonic saves, uh, Tails and Amy. Woo. What, what, what a, what a game. What a concept. So, basically, all that came from this is now, hey, Metal Sonics are now good to use, and Amy Rose is here. That's pretty much all the takeaway from this is. Yep. Yep. That's all the takeaway is. But hey, we got to issue 25. It's it's the first milestone. Come on. That's got to be big. That's got to be. Yeah. The min- first of many because this series, I don't know if it still holds the record, is the longest running comic based off of a property, existing property. You mean licensed property. Yeah, licensed it? property. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You are right, though, as far as I'm aware. I don't know if that record's been taken yet, but... Well... 290 from... issues. 290. About that. Yeah, 290. 290. Yeah. Exactly, 290. Yeah. So, we move next to another one-off comic. We have the Sonic and Knuckles special. Of course, given to us by Mike Kentarovich and Ken Penders. And uh, also... Art done by uh, a couple of different people. Mawini did one chapter. Uh, Dave Manak did another. You know, we got we got a little all-around team here. Uh, one of them wasn't uh, all-around. Yeah. I didn't like, uh, I'll talk about it when we get there. So, we open up. We see a group of Mobians playing uh, on the beach on the west coast of the Great Continent, where, obviously, all the stories take place and all that. Then... A shadow is cast upon this group, and we see it to be the shadow of the floating island. They're freaking out because uh, this island is not supposed to be moving. It kind of stays stationary with the rotation of the planet. Just keep that in mind. So the Freedom Fighters have been alerted, and they're in a meeting about it, saying that it will come over Knothole in a couple of hours. So, Sonic and Tails show up late to the meeting saying that they recognized the floating island and that they were on it a couple of months back, and they told them how they met Knuckles, the guardian of the island. On their plane, Sonic and Tails are flying up to it, but they are attacked with artillery attached to the bottom of the landmass. That's weird. That's not supposed to be there. What? Sonic and Tails parachute in, and they land in a place filled with giant mushrooms and are attacked Basically by the lumberjack boss from Sonic and Knuckles, that first boss. Knuckles uh, follows them initially and ends up attacking Sonic, repeating, You are not welcome on my island. With uh, the next response being, Tails trying to kill Knuckles by dropping a boulder on his head. That's a little much. He's out for blood. Tails has acquired a taste for blood. So, uh, obviously, Knuckles dodges it and both he and Sonic fall into a ravine. There's this little lava area underneath the ground, to which Tails helps them both get back up and up to the surface. Sonic points out to Knuckles that the stars in the sky are in the wrong place, meaning his island was hijacked and turned into a flying fortress, and Knuckles says that he was, quote, fooled again. Oh, Knuckles, what are we gonna do to you? 
how how did he not notice that there was guns put on his island? Like, yeah, Knuckles is dumb, and I love that he's dumb, but how did he not notice that? Maybe he was taking a nap, bro. Come on. Like, give him a little credit. It's been floating for days. Like, it's been moving for days. Eh, well, what are you going to do? So, uh, Sonic and Tails are brought to by Knuckles into this weird crystal cavern looking place where Knuckles' Chaos Emerald is kept and is amplified to keep the island afloat. In there, they see a siphon that's sucking out power from the Emerald and Robotnik uh, reveals himself there, saying that he built several machines to turn the island into a fortress and uses the Chaos Emerald in the, in the little cavern to power it all. And when it flies over Knothole, he's going to use flamethrowers to burn the island as it flies over. Or, to burn the place as it flies over. Excuse me. In response, Knuckles does really the only logical thing. Like, I, I do the same thing. He breaks the Chaos Emerald, which keeps the island from floating. I love that. I re- it just, hmm, what to do? Oh yeah, break it. Chad energy. What, what a legend. What a guy. Robotnik uh, panics at this and flies away, as is the island's about to crash over Knothole. Knuckles, however, nonplussed about this. He pulls out a second Chaos Emerald, puts it back on the pedestal, and keeps the island afloat. Knuckles says that it was a fake emerald in the altar originally, and he smashed the, the smashed that one, and the real one was the spare. I... I really wish they were both real and he just has a supply of Chaos Emeralds. I think that would have been funnier. That would have been funnier, to be honest. Like, can... I, I know this one, this one was like a joint effort between uh, Mike and, and Ken, but Ken, you gotta ramp it up on the comedy. Like, yeah, Saturday morning cartoon humor, it's a little dull and blah, blah, blah. But come on, there's a lot of comedic uh, uh, chances that you're just missing. <laughs> like, come on. Knuckles just breaking Chaos Emeralds on the reg and he just keeps a stash of them underneath his uh, his floorboards? That's hilarious! You know, the most powerful artifacts in the series? That's hilarious that he's that strong. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, you, we don't even know really the, the training regimen one would have to go to be the Guardian of the Island. Maybe breaking an Emerald has to be like one of the initiates. Well, there is no training. It's just trauma, as we learn later. Yeah, it's just trauma. But we're about to get into that, actually. <laughs> I'm just thinking, God. Like, it's it gives off the same energy as Cress Ridfield punching the boulder. <laughs> <laughs> just that, well, but no, what, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> what are you supposed to do? <laughs> well, Hook. so, uh, t- where were we? So, they're back on uh, the ground floor in Knothole. Sonic offers Knuckles to, you know... Hey, buddy, park your island over Knothole and join with us. You know, we could use your hand in the fight against Robotnik. And he's just like, nah, I have, quote, my own problems and responsibilities. So, Sonic and Tails head back. They report back to the rest of the team. And Sonic just says Knuckles is on his own. Just on on his own. Let's leave him alone. That's something that they should have done. (laughs) So... Like, this is a one-shot, by the way. I forgot to, if I didn't mention that. So we got more stories here. We, uh, the next story be written solo penders. I stress that, and you're going to see why. Knuckles on the Angel I- or on the floating island, as it's still called. He's, uh, he notices some footprints. 
He thinks it's Sonic, so he uh, he's trying to follow him to, to throw him off the island, I assume. And yeah. uh, he follows it, follows the footsteps into Sandopolis. Uh, Knuckles uh, is chased into a door, saying that he never really went through this way, and says no one ever got to this point on the floating island, and that his father never told him about his place. I stress that last sentence because Knuckles' father... Hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him. He comes up a lot. He's like my least favorite character in this series. In this in this book, I guess. I do not like Knuckles' father. Well, Knuckles is about to be crushed with sand, about to drown in sand, basically. But he escapes... And after going back outside, he sees the footprints again and lead him to the edge of the island, believing that whoever was here is gone now. The last panel, we see a shadowed hand on a rock saying that this was his first lesson. Whoever could this be, I wonder? <sighs> One of Pender's is many. Look how important this character is that actually isn't that important. Pender likes to introduce a lot of characters. And make them up as important and then get ignored. Well, that's story B. We have a third story on our hands here. It's it's honestly, like, really simple. Knuckles, like, helps a baby kangaroo who was lost from his mom. And at the same time, a solar eclipse is happening and the wind is, like, blowing really strong. I assume this is, like, the time when, like, Robotnik is, like, outfitting the island. I, I guess that's what what's going on here i don't know what else would be going on so knuckles uh saves the kid from a herd of dingoes that was stampeding finds the kid's mom solar eclipse ends and all is well that ends well i did not uh like minimize it It that's really it but plays out exactly like that it's just showing that knuckles is part of his duty is just protect it's just showing hey there's people on angel island too well living things on angel island as well not just knuckles they're just now here. Yeah. And the art's not that good in this issue. <laughs> if I remember right, it was uh, uh, kind of bad. I don't want to call it bad. It, but... it feels it feels rushed is what it is. Yeah. Well, we're still not done. We've got one last issue to cover. Sonic number 26. <sighs> written by uh, uh, Dekasare. So, of course, another like uh, Saturday morning cartoon romp. Oh, and uh, Dave Manak and uh, Art Mawinney, uh both collaborated for the art for the issue. Let's get all the credits out where they be. It's about a standard-looking issue. Yeah, it's standard stuff. But again, journalistic integrity here. Let's cover it as it goes. Basically, they're just the Freedom Fighters are enjoying a summer swim at the lake. Snowstorm comes in. They find out Robotnik built a weather machine to basically try to like freeze the Freedom Fighters to death. They uh, run into a cave. They find Arctic Mobians who were going south during the time Robotnik like took over uh, the world. So they were kind of stuck there in this cave. And they used discarded Rob- Robotnik tech to simulate the environment they came from so they didn't die. They uh, offer to keep the Freedom Fighters in there to train them up against Arctic elements so they could properly fight against Robotnik. Then uh, they finish their training. They go out. And they beat Robotnik off and weather is restored and these new Arctic Mobians like are allowed to leave and go find, go south to see their friends and family. That's, that's it. Uh, this issue 
That that was an issue. You're forgetting the important part. The Cold War joke. You see, I did write that in the notes, but I was like, no, I don't. This dep- That makes me, like, sad. I don't want to. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. The Cold War canonically happens in the Sonic universe. Well, I I guess it did. I guess it did. But, it, again, like, that's that story. There is a story B. It's also done by Dekasare. It's just, like... They find it, the Freedom Fighters find this old fort that Sally thinks that her ancestors, her colonial ancestors build, I think is what she says. And says, uh, uh, they have like a lot of old, uh, like metal here and iron. And by the way, Robotnik is chasing them and Sonic sprained his ankle. So, uh, Robotnik chases them into this old fort. They kind of have like bunny, like taunt, uh, Robotnik a little bit. Oh, Yeah. I str- I forgot this issue this covers this story entirely. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, Robotnik drives through a wall after like Bunny basically does that. Uh, how do you put it? Like like that matador thing of like taunting him. Drives through the wall and it goes down the the mountain like that. Yeah, that's it. We're done. That's it. That's that's that's, that's it. it. So uh, final thoughts. Final thoughts on what's all going on here. So, I didn't talk about it when we talked about it, but the Sally miniseries, right? Right. Despite having a Sally in the name, it was more about our good old friend, Jeffrey St. John. That's it, all it was about. Sally was barely the focus. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't... That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. And, uh, on my part, uh, for my... In my notes for final thoughts, all I really have here is fuck Jeffrey St. John. All my homies hate Jeffrey St. John. Uh, I don't know uh, how that got there. A lot of my notes for the Sally Miniseries was I hate Jeffrey St. John. So. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure we already, like, touched upon it, but, like, Jeffrey's not a fun character. Like, I know you guys are, like, just introducing him, so you're wondering, oh, man, what's with all the animosity? Like, <sighs> you'll know you'll you'll see what the animosity is like he's you'll not learn. a fun character he really isn't like there is some interest kind of but it's just he's not even really written that well he's too suspicious he's too smarmy like i get it he's supposed to be a double agent most of the time but that is just really honed in a little too well I don't care for that. I also don't care for Ken Pender setting up a love triangle that's completely unnecessary. Oh, yeah. Mind you, Sonic and Sally are officially together at this point in the comic. Uh, I don't... I think it's... It it complicates things even more. I don't think so. I think they're, like, on this, like... like... No, they are. Are they? I don't... I must have missed that part. That was established earlier on. Are you thinking of like that one? There's issue been where multiple like, things about it. I, I, my mind is fried. So much Sonic the Hedgehog going through my brain. This blue rat lives rent free in my brain, bro. Too much is going on. Yeah, I feel that. There's too much uh, rat in my brain, and my internet is being dumb right now. So it's it's going good. Yeah, yeah. So with that out of the way, uh, when we were bringing up issue twenty five, I told you guys to imagine. What would a what would a, a matchup of uh, Mike Gallagher writing and Patrick Spazzing doing the art look like? Well, according to uh, me, it says that the dynamic art style made me really uncomfortable. This is too much of like the jokiness is too much, and the art is like almost too good for the script that he got. 
Like, I know that's, like, not really the right way to say this, but that's how it feels to me. You know, that's how it is. The, the, the script does not deserve that art. <laughs> and it's, like, unfortunate to say that, but, like, look look at it for yourself and tell me if I'm wrong. Like, please prove me wrong. And uh, another thing to say, very Ken Penders of him to reintroduce Knuckles with his own uh, one-shot comic. Like, this is clearly, like, a... Uh, funny in retrospect kind of thing uh-huh oh god i just realized the knuckles stuff is soon oh the knuckles stuff is pretty soon oh god i also have another note here uh we we the you know the one shadow that i mentioned beforehand like the hand saying oh this is your first tech knuckles that's clearly his dad like let's put that out of the way that's clearly supposed to be his dad and let's also keep in mind Knuckles is supposed to be the last of the Echidnas that's canon to the games, and as of now, that's canon to the comics. We understand Knuckles is the last of his kind, so when this comic first came out, I can imagine there were a lot of people going like, oh, whoa, who, who is this guy? What is this? Well, what's his connection to Knuckles? In retrospect, that's clearly his dad. Yep. And it makes me very scared for the future. Oh, I'm very afraid for what I know. I'm very afraid. And last bit, last bit I want to say here. Uh, in issue, I think it was 22, we saw Robo Robotnik again, right? I mentioned before that that was supposed to be the same Robo Robotnik from Night of a Thousand Sonics, that one uh, storyline. However, that's kind of not the case. We do have like this theory about like, there are two separate Robo Robotniks that exist in the multiverse. The first one was the one that we originally saw in uh, Night of a Thousand Sonics, where he roboticized himself to get the upper hand on the Freedom Fighters. That kind of is the same case with uh, the Robo Robotnik that was reintroduced here, but obviously the timeline doesn't really match up here. Kind of? We know that it's supposed to be in the future, this, you know, Robo-Robotnik. But Robo-Robotnik also says that this is an alternate zone. So, yeah. Mull on that, why don't you? You think Ken Penders was thinking when he wrote that? He wasn't. Probably not. Interesting to bring him up, though. He does say that, he does consider that these two appearances are the same like Robo Robotnik. They are supposed to be the same. However, uh, Ian Flynn, who took over for the comic after Ken Penders left, he's, he subscribes to that these are two different Robo Robotniks. So since he's the one that like takes it up later on in the series, like ends with him, I guess we're supposed to like take his word over Ken Penders. I guess that's how that works. I mean, I'm just always going to take Ian's over Ken's. You know what? I think that's a fair, like, statement. Uh, just in general, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah? Oh, boy. So, those are my final thoughts on these issues. Uh, Bailey, any final thoughts? Uh, I'm uh, still scared. That's my final thoughts. I'm afraid. Afraid of what? What's the worst that could happen? Oh, so much. So much is getting built up to, and I'm afraid... Yeah, that's another thing. Like, Ken Penders, I'll give Ken Penders credit for this. He really knows how to, like, foreshadow and build things up. Execution on so, it's a little, a little iffy. But he does know how to build things up, and I respect that. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's going to be it for this episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. Thanks for watching. Tune in next time. And we will, among other things, be covering the Tales miniseries. He gets his own miniseries. Oh, God. I didn't realize that was this soon, too. I know we're not getting to the most infamous Tales moment yet, but oh, God. <laughs> oh, the most infamous Tales moment. Viewers, please don't. Uh, please don't Google that. Like, not just for the sake of spoilers. Like, for the, for your own sanity. Like, don't look at it. Titan Tales is so funny, though. It is funny. <laughs> it's really funny. Titan Tales is so funny, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Thanks for watching this episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. We'll see you next time. Bye.